This episode is brought to you by Bureau of Medical Economics, medical account specialists servicing the account collection needs of the medical community for nearly 70 years right here in Arizona. The biggest thing is the ability to communicate with patients and, and understand their needs, oftentimes unstated. You know, being able to observe when people are in pain or people have fear, uh, people have misgivings. It, it just takes time. Hi, and welcome to the Arizona Physician Podcast brought to you by the Maricopa County Medical Society. My name is John McElligot, your host for today's episode. And we're joined today by Dr. John Williams. Dr. Williams wrote an article in the spring 2020 issue of Arizona Physician Magazine entitled The Hospice Conversation. Dr. Williams, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Sir, could you please uh, describe for the listeners your background in medicine, what specialties you've had, where you started in Arizona, and how you got to your current position at Hospice of the Valley? Sure. I, I went to medical school at the University of Arizona and graduated in 1984. I did a family medicine residency in Phoenix and practiced primary care or family medicine in Phoenix for 26 years. I quit private practice in 2013 and became a full-time hospice uh, medical director, but I've been working with Hospice of the Valley for about 15 years in a part-time or full-time capacity. And Dr. Williams, you're medical director for Hospice of the Valley. What does that entail? You know, it, it, it's really a collaborative position. Generally, hospice is a nurse-driven medical care system, and the medical director provides guidance and oversight with regard to medications treatment plans, and the medical director is also obliged to update Medicare periodically with regard to patients and their appropriateness for hospice services. And I oversee three different types of teams. I have a, a, I'm the medical director at one of the hospice inpatient units where we see generally the, the patients with uncontrolled symptoms or uh, the most, the sickest patients. I, I have a, an outpatient team where I do home visits, and then I have a facility team where I visit skilled nursing facilities and assisted living facilities. What does a typical day entail? Are you going from facility to facility? Do you have a normal rotation every day, or is it throughout the week? It's throughout the week. Uh, three days a week, I spend the majority of my time at the uh, inpatient unit, where, again, we take care of generally people who need symptom management that can't be done at home or, or in a facility, or people coming from a hospital who likely will not live for very long. Other days, I, I make home visits in the central Phoenix area on Tuesdays, most of Tuesday. Thursdays, I make facility visits at skilled nursing and assisted living facilities most of the day. What did you learn in your previous decades of practice in medicine that you draw on for your current position as medical director of Hospice of the Valley? The biggest thing is the ability to communicate with patients and, and understand their needs, oftentimes unstated. You know, being able to observe when people are in pain or people have fear, uh, people have misgivings, and um, it, it just takes time. Uh, I work with fellows now coming out of a fellowship program for palliative care medicine who are in their 30s. And I'm amazed at how much better they are at those types of skills than I was when I started. You know, most physicians would understand that 
really the patient will tell you what's wrong if you can sit there and listen. And is it often speaking directly to the patient or sometimes do you have to communicate with the family or a loved one who is accompanying that patient? Sometimes it's the loved one or family member. People in the older generation, 80 and beyond, are often pretty stoic. Pain to them is never an issue and emotional upset can't be displayed. So oftentimes family members will tell you more of what's going on than, than the patient can. We see that even up to the end of life in, in hospice services. That's interesting that you bring up maybe a generational difference in how people perceive pain or how they deal with it. Uh, why do you think that is the case? Well, I, you know, a lot of, lot of people over the age of 80 grew up in wartime, uh, didn't have all the amenities that we have, weren't as privileged as we were, and, you know, often grew up working and really weren't expected to, to express emotions or pain. And Dr. Williams, in your article, The Hospice Conversation, you wrote, quote, introducing the concept of a hospice referral to patients and their families can be a challenging and difficult conversation for us as physicians. Why is that the case? You know, oftentimes people have a hard time, and doctors as well have a hard time deciding that it's just futile to continue treatments that aren't effective. As a doctor, I, I always hated to just throw my hat in and say, there's nothing else I can do. You, know, you always wanted to, to do something more for a patient. And I, hospice has given me that opportunity, although not a curative opportunity. And oftentimes the discussion about you know, joining hospice is something that has to be had with the whole family. And Patients and family members come to the table at different times with different expectations um, and, and also significant hesitation. Nobody wants to lose mom or dad. That's one of the, one of the big things in, in medicine. Can you recall back to some conversations you had when you were practicing outside of Hospice of the Valley that you've had with patients or family members that helped to inform the way that you approach patients now? Well, a couple of conversations that occurred with older folks, well past 90, who one had a broken hip and, and one had a, a significant cardiac issue. Both were faced with going forward with aggressive care versus just trying to stay comfortable in spite of the fact that they were already badly debilitated. And in each case, I might not have asserted myself as well as I ought to have, emphasizing comfort care in, in both patients went the, the aggressive route and the surgery was a success, a success but the patient died in each case. Um, so those, those are the type of conversations that really, really open my eyes in terms of, you know, how, especially in America, we, we really like to be as aggressive as we can, perhaps above and beyond the most appropriate level. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Folks, you've been listening to an episode of the Arizona Physician Podcast with our guest, Dr. John Williams. After the break, we'll discuss the four scenarios that may trigger hospice conversation with patients and what advice Dr. Williams may have for physicians listening. We'll be right back. Bureau of Medical Economics has been servicing the account collection needs of the medical community since 1951, with nearly 70 years of experience in this industry and proven results. We proudly consider our clients, your practice, an invaluable business partner. There is no obligation and no upfront cost. 
Please give us a call at 602-252-3469 for more information. Welcome back to the Arizona Physician Podcast with our guest, Dr. John Williams. Dr. Williams, in your article, The Hospice Conversation, which was published in the spring 2020 issue of Arizona Physician Magazine, you presented four scenarios that may trigger a hospice conversation with patients. What is the first? The first is the scenario where a patient is just overburdened by treatment. Aggressive treatment could be chemotherapy. It may be oxygen and breathing treatments. Sometimes it's, it's medications to control behaviors. And, you know, the, the patient and family are just, just exhausted and overwhelmed with the, the intensity of the treatment and just ready to, to step back and, and let things be more simple and comfortable. And Dr. Williams, course, what is the second scenario? Uh, the second scenario would be a scenario where, where the patient has no further aggressive or effective treatments available. Their chemotherapy stopped working or their cardiac medications and cardiac procedures aren't effective any longer. Their breathing has deteriorated or a patient's behaviors have declined to the point where there's just nothing else that will allow them to rise back to their baseline. And Dr. Williams, what is the third scenario that may trigger a hospice conversation? Basically, it's, it's a situation where the patient continues to decline in spite of the fact that they continue to receive uh, very good and very aggressive care. Uh, oftentimes, those patients, each time they receive treatment, drop from their baseline and never return to that baseline of wellness that they experienced. And after several rounds of hospitalization or treatment, they find that they continue to slip in spite of all best, best measures and all best efforts. Okay. And sir, what is the, the fourth and final scenario that you've outlined? The final scenario that I mentioned was a set of symptoms that are challenging and, and very difficult to manage. Oftentimes in medicine, we're kind of limited with regard to management of symptoms, especially pain these days, outside of the realm of, of hospice or other, other very specialized programs. And oftentimes those symptoms are behavioral symptoms relative to dementia, which of course is becoming a, a major illness in the elderly population. You wrote in the article, the hospice conversation can be a challenging and anxious one, but in keeping with the purpose of hospice, it strives to maximize quality of life for patients and help them enjoy every moment. Dr. Williams, when you look at those four different scenarios, is there one that stands out as more common? What have you seen so far across Hospice of the Valley? You know, on any given day, the most common one is probably the patient who has a decline uh, continued decline in spite of frequent aggressive efforts, hospitalizations, or treatments that seem not to be allowing them to return to a level of wellness or health that they wish to obtain. And Dr. Williams, uh, do you have any parting advice for physicians listening? Anything that you'd like to share about how they go about this conversation if they have a patient who's considering it or if a physician would broach the idea with the patient? Well, you know, I think honesty is the best thing. I, I think just being honest with the patient and letting them know that you're out of ideas or out of, out of options, or I notice that no matter how much treatment you obtain or how, much, how aggressive 
the specialists have been able to be, you, you don't seem to be responding or, or improving. And that will then give the patient and family pause to think about whether or not they want to continue. Uh, some people never give up. Other people just want to be comfortable. Yeah. And, you know, in, in hospice, it's a wonderful way to practice medicine. I know it's not for everybody, but, but the collaborative effort between the nurses, the social workers, the CNAs uh, is, is remarkable. It provides a network for families and, and patients to you know, receive treatment and support that as a family physician or as an internist or pediatrician, you, you just can't do by yourself. I always tell medical students when they rotate through to latch on to a really good medical social worker because they'll save you so much work and time. And they, they're so good at finding community services for people who need things. That's a great suggestion. And uh, Dr. Williams, I guess a final question for you. Any physicians listening who may be interested in uh, palliative care or later in their career switching to uh, something like Hospice in the Valley, like what you've done, how should they go about doing that? How do they connect with uh, an organization in the Valley or within Arizona? Well, hospice organizations throughout the Valley and a lot of primary care docs will know this, are looking for medical directors all the time just to provide some guidance for the nurses who do most of the work in hospice. Those medical director appointments are available at most hospices. And, and I'm sure, like myself, a lot of my colleagues had offers, have had offers to be a medical director in the past. It, it's really rewarding. I see a lot of patients, but a lot of the medical director positions are really more oversight and uh, interaction with the nurses. And it allows you to share some of your knowledge that you otherwise wouldn't, probably wouldn't use in, on a daily basis in the, in the 15-minute visit in the office. Sir, thank you very much. This has been an excellent conversation with Dr. John Williams, Medical Director of Hospice of the Valley and author of Hospice Conversation, which was an article published in the spring 2020 issue of Arizona Physician Magazine. Dr. Williams, thank you very much for being a guest. Thank you very much. Thanks very much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Join the Maricopa County Medical Society. It provides Maricopa County physicians with professional and patient referrals, event and CME opportunities, business services, Arizona physician, but more importantly, we're here to serve your best interests. Join today. Visit us at www.mcmsonline.com. Thank you for listening to the Arizona Physician Podcast.